0: Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing movies based on TV shows. There have been many, many movies based on TV shows. I have a huge list in front of me. For this episode, what I'm going to do instead is randomly choose about 20 or so to go over. So we're not covering the entirety of every, <laughs> every movie that's ever been based on a TV show because there are so many. The movies we'll be discussing today are The X-Files 1 and 2, Aqua Teen Hunger Force Colon Movie Film for Theaters, (laughs) I love that title, all four G.I. Joe movies, The Three Naked Gun Films, The Three Jackass Films, Dirty Sanchez, Downton Abbey, The Three Power Rangers Films, Baywatch, 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street, Sex and the City 1 and 2, Entourage, Miami Vice, The Brady Bunch Movie and a Very Brady Sequel. A lot of these movies are comedies, and comedy is tough, and humor is subjective. So for a show like this, it's difficult to say which comedy is better, because you might find Dragnet funny, and you might hate The Naked Gun. Who knows? There are the movies that are continuations of the show, like X-Files or Downton Abbey, where the same cast comes back. It's the same storyline as the TV show. It's really just a big screen version of the show. And then you have ones that are just movies of the show, almost in name only, kind of like Baywatch or Chips. Or Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Where these aren't really movies of the show. Like if you watch Starsky and Hutch, that's not a movie of the show. I'll go ahead and eliminate one of mine right now, Baywatch. Baywatch is not a movie of the show. It's practically a spoof of the show. It's mocking the show. And there are a lot of films that are like that, like Starsky and Hutch again. That one is more of a spoof of the show. It is not a Starsky and Hutch movie. Of course, Baywatch, the movie, is also terrible. When I saw that in theaters, I couldn't help but wish that it was a movie of the show. There's a reason the show was popular. It was successful. It ran for years and at one point it was the biggest television show on the planet. Not a lot of people may realize but Baywatch and CSI Miami are two of the biggest shows ever made. Baywatch was always known for its camp and it was mocked. Its success was mocked but you can't deny what people like. And so it seems weird to me that they would make a movie that is just making fun of it. It's kind of like when the Leave it to Beaver movie came out. It was really just mocking the concept of Leave it to Beaver. One of the movies that did it correctly and I think even best is the Brady Bunch movie. This Brady family and Brady house exists almost in this bubble that is the TV show, right down to the AstroTurf lawn and it looking like a set, but it's surrounded by what is essentially meant to be the real world with real people reacting to what is this strangeness, what is this family, and one character even says that they don't think the house has a toilet, like no one has ever seen a toilet in the house because on the show they never showed a toilet. For now, I am holding on to the Brady Bunch movie because... For one, it's hilarious. I genuinely think it's a very funny movie. But also because it achieves that perfect balance of replicating the show and looking at it with 30 years later eyes with that sort of satirical mocking tone. It's perfect. It's the one that nails that balance. And Starsky and Hutch is not on this list, but I'll bring that one up again because that movie's terrible. But that movie is just a mockery. It's just taking the name of the show, mocking it for being stupid. Like, how stupid is the show? Ha ha ha. Isn't that funny how dumb this is? But it's not always an absolute, because then you also have ones like 21 Jump Street or Miami Vice, where those two are also not really movies of the show. Miami Vice, which was directed by Michael Mann, is a dark, gritty cop movie. When you look at the director's filmography, you might think, okay, why is the guy who did Last of the Mohicans and Collateral and Heat is doing a movie of a TV show? It's because he created the original show. And the original show had that neon 1980s cocaine-fueled glow to it. But it was never played for laughs. The show was not meant to be a joke. It has that weird 80s style because it was made in the 80s. That was just a natural occurring event. The movie, it's not really a movie of the show, but I give it some leeway because it was made by the same person who made the show. This is his version of that story. While I might respect that continued ownership of the franchise, Miami Vice the movie is not that good. It's just sort of unpleasant. 21 Jump Street also sort of has that same issue where it's not really a movie of the show, but what it has in its favor is that it's so funny. (laughs) The the 21 Jump Street movie is remarkably funny, and it was made by the guys who did the Lego movie, and I really, really, really wish that they had done the Men in Black crossover film that had been planned, because up until the Sony hacks, so if you don't know, at one point in time, Sony uh, had their email accounts hacked and a whole bunch of movie ideas and complaining about celebrities and things like that all came to light. And one of the ideas that had been discussed was 21 Jump Street and Men in Black combo sequel, where Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill would have joined the Men in Black, which would have been hilarious. I think that could have been fun, but Sony wasn't ready to make essentially what would have ended up being a spoof of Men in Black, because Men in Black had not been driven into the ground yet by the fourth film, which is awful. It kind of reminds me of the saying that I've used on the show before, if it was good, we wouldn't complain with movies like Chips and Starsky and Hutch and Dora. If they were good movies, we wouldn't complain that they're not really movies of the show. 21 Jump Street at least still takes the concept of the show, but just sort of laughs at it. And the reason I think that we maybe might make an excuse for that being okay, or at least the reason I might, is because the concept of the show itself already is kind of silly, that cops in their 20s are pretending to be high school students to bust crime. (laughs) Okay? It's kind of a goofy concept on its own. But it helps a lot that the movie is really, really funny. The sequel, 22 Jump Street, is good as well. It's also funny. Uh, I'm going to cross off 22. I will keep 21 Jump Street for now. The same idea with a very Brady sequel. That one, I don't think is nearly as good. I do like when they bring in the invisible boyfriend (laughs) for Jan Brady, the boyfriend she makes up. At the time of this recording, the fourth Jackass film is not out yet. I do like that franchise. And as mentioned already at the start, comedy is so subjective. There are going to be people that just don't find those kind of antics funny. And for that reason, I am going to go ahead and cross off the Jackass franchise. I like them. They're not really movies, since they're just a collection of skits. They're not really about anything. And so as films, I don't feel so bad crossing them off, despite enjoying them quite a bit. One of the titles I mentioned we're covering today is called Dirty Sanchez. And most people have probably not heard of it. It's essentially the UK version of Jackass. At least that's the way that it was sold. It was on MTV2. It's another prank and skit show and stunt show, pretty much exactly like Jackass. Except it is way more violent and disturbing than Jackass. Like on Jackass, they do a lot of painful things. But on Dirty Sanchez, they cut off the tips of their pinkies. (laughs) Just really extreme stuff that goes beyond just, let's see what they can endure on this stunt. They actually really hurt themselves. Just imagine Jackass, but slightly more stomach-turning. You might have more of a physical reaction watching Dirty Sanchez. I'm going to go ahead and cross it off for the same reason as crossing off the Jackass films, because they're not really movies exactly. I mean, they're films, of course they are, but they're not about plot or character. They're just a collection of of skits and scenes and stunts. But if you're into that, if you're into that sort of thing and you have not seen it, go ahead and check it out. I'm going to cross off the two Sex and the City films because they're awful. And I actually liked the show a lot. I really liked the show. What confused me so much about the Sex and the City films is that why would you take a funny show and make just the most depressing movie? And something very similar happened with the Hannah Montana film, where you have a movie of what is essentially a sitcom, but you decided to make it not funny? The Sex and the City films I would describe as unpleasant. They are not pleasant films to watch, which is very strange for what is a continuation of a comedy show. They are unhappy films. I would re-watch the show but I'm never going back to those films, ever. I'm crossing off Entourage. I loved the Entourage show, and when it started, it was pitched pretty much as a guy version of Sex and the City. And the show has had a lot of ridicule over the years. There are a lot of people who really don't like Entourage, and that's fine. What I liked about the movie is it was a true continuation of the show. The flip side to that, though, is it doesn't make it very cinematic if it really just feels like the next episode. So as a fan, I appreciate it. I had a good time watching it. But as a filmgoer, It's not much of a movie if you don't know the show. Like, you really need to know the show to care at all about the movie. And so for that reason, I'll cross it off. The next two I want to discuss are The X-Files films. The first one, The X-Files Fight the Future, came out in 98. And it was one of the rare movies of TV shows where it actually came out while the show was still on the air. And there aren't that many examples of that. Most movies of TV shows come out years later. But The X-Files movie came out while the show was still on. It's very rare for a movie to come out between seasons. I like the first film quite a lot. I've rewatched it many times over the years. When it came out, I saw it with a friend of mine who had never seen an episode of the show, and he was able to follow along. So even though it is a stopgap between seasons 5 and 6, he was able to understand the characters and follow along. The only real problem I have with the first movie is that because it takes place between seasons, they can't really resolve anything. The movie is a bit of a non-starter and non-ender, if that makes sense. And if you watch the show... The events of the film barely matter. (laughs) They barely matter with season six. I'm hesitant to cross it off because I like it, but I could see how not a lot of people would really care about it. And so for that reason, I'm probably going to go ahead and cross off The X-Files Fight the Future. The second film though, The X-Files, I want to believe, I have no problem crossing off. It came out 10 years later. They waited way too long to make another film. But it's also weirdly about a convicted sex offender priest who might be psychic. And it's just very strange. Like, there's a key detail in that phrase that I don't think they needed to include. It just makes it very strange. Part of what they go for in the film is, why would God give this gift to a man who has done these terrible things? And I can kind of understand why that might be intriguing, but it just makes it weird and kind of uncomfortable. Plus, the movie is really terrible. It's not a good film. And luckily, Fox did later do a revival series, which initially was very good and then became very bad. But that aside, the movie is really bad. I do not recommend the second X-Files film to anybody. The next one I'm going to talk about is absolutely going to be one of my three. The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. Not a lot of people realize that the Naked Gun movies were based on a TV show, and the name of the show was called Police Squad, which is why Naked Gun is called From the Files of Police Squad. The TV show also had Leslie Nielsen, the great, great Leslie (laughs) Nielsen, I don't know what the history is and why they decided to make a movie of a six-episode TV show that failed, but I am definitely glad that they did because The Naked Gun is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. It's one of those rare comedies where it still makes me laugh. Most comedies or scary movies aren't usually funny or scary after you've already seen them. But The Naked Gun, man, it still gets me. Leslie Nielsen is the master of deadpan delivery. There's a reason why he became a star of all these sort of spoofy slapstick movies. And even though some of them weren't that good, he always gave it his best. Leslie Nielsen never seemed like he was being lazy or didn't want to do it. A lot of later Adam Sandler movies, he looks like he's bored. And that never happened to Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen was always at the top of his game. And he acted all the way up to the very end. I love The Naked Gun. I don't think parts two and three are that good. It's hard to pinpoint why, because again, comedy is subjective. What one person finds funny, another person may not. And we'll touch on that with a very specific example in a second. But parts two and three just don't really work for me. Two is funnier than three. Three is not very good really at all. Two does have its pluses. Part one is the absolute best. I love The Naked Gun. The humor is subjective example that I mentioned <laughs> is Aqua Teen Hunger Force Colon Movie Film for Theaters, which is a title that I love. <laughs> Aqua Teen Hunger Force was one of the longest-running scripted shows on television. It's one of the longest-running animated shows, one of the longest-running comedies. And when the movie came out, it was not very successful. I saw it in theaters, and I had a blast. And for those that are not in the know, it is an absurdist show. And I can see it turning off many, many, many people. And so while I had a very good time with the film, I would very much imagine that most people probably wouldn't. Here's an example. In the film, Tina Fey plays the voice of a burrito. (laughs) it's that sort of humor. I'm not keeping the film, but if shaking your head at something while you smile and question why are you watching this is something that actually sounds a little fun, then I do recommend the film. If you ever did see the show and liked enough of what you saw, then I definitely recommend the film for those people as well. Of what we have left, there's two groups of films and one standalone, and so the standalone, for now at least, is Downton Abbey. There is a second film coming out. As of the time of this recording, it has not been released yet. I am a huge Downton Abbey fan. I just love the characters in that rich world. These people aren't put in necessarily extravagant situations, but it is a world of extravagance. What the movie does very well is it manages in two hours to balance this very large cast of characters. Because in the show, it's about the upstairs and downstairs residents of this abbey. And you have the rich people who live there and then all the servants and it follows them in their lives, and it's sweet and nice and happy and romantic and dramatic. Some people might say dry. It aired in the U.S. on PBS, and so it is kind of a PBS-type show for all the good and bad that might imply to you. As a movie, while it is successful balancing all the characters and giving everybody something to do, there is a bit of a lack of focus in the film, only because, kind of like the Entourage movie, it feels like just the next episode. There's nothing about it that screams, this is what we accomplished because it's a film. With the first X-Files film, you could see the difference in the budget. They had aliens and spacecrafts and the sort of things that they couldn't afford to do on the TV show, a sense of adventure that they couldn't accomplish in the TV show. But for Downton Abbey, it really does only feel like the next episode, which on one hand is great, but on the other hand, as a film, it's not entirely successful standing alone. So I am crossing off Downton Abbey, but I do like the film. I like the show. I recommend both. I can't say that you can watch the movie without watching the show first. So maybe start with the show and just know going into it that the movie is more of the same. The next three are the Power Rangers films. And a lot of people may not even realize that there have been three theatrical films in the United States. There was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. And I think it came out after season one or maybe during season two. I'm not entirely sure of the timeline. And by that point, I had kind of aged out of it, so I wasn't familiar with half of the Power Ranger cast. I do like the movie. It's cotton candy. (laughs) It's dumb, sugary nonsense. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense really at all. It's a great example of giving a very cheap show a significant budget for a feature film. The show was cheaply made, and most of the fight scenes were the fight scenes taken from the Japanese version of the show, just dubbed with the new cast, so they didn't even bother refilming most of the fight scenes for the show. It's just a, a Japanese show from years earlier that they had footage for. It's really kind of jarring if you're familiar with the show at all to go from one of those episodes to the movie, especially when it shares the same cast. It is a continuation of the show as it was on at that time. I do have a problem with some of the CG in the film, and I know that might sound like a broken record coming from me, One of the charms of the show is the model work and the people in suits, like classic Godzilla style, that I really, really like. I am a fan of the man-in-suit type films and TV. It really encourages the imagination when you see these clearly fake landscapes and people in suits fighting in slow motion as if they're massive sizes. I like them quite a bit. I really, really do. But with the movie, they just went the animation route, so the giant robots are just animated. And it's just not the same. I really wish they would have gone with model work again. As I said, the movie is kind of just cotton candy. There's no nutritional value at all to the Power Rangers movie, to the first one. So if you want to watch something that might make you feel a little bit like a kid again, why not? Give it a try. But I will stress, it is not high art by any means. (laughs) The second film, the one that fewer people know about, was called Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. They changed the robots to where they were cars and the cars transformed or something. I don't really know. I was definitely too old at that point. I did see Turbo in theaters. It is awful. It is probably one of the worst films I've ever seen in a theater in my life. I have no problem crossing off Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. I do have a lot of good to say about the 2017 reboot that was just called Power Rangers. They decided to go the serious route. And the film is almost more like The Breakfast Club with Power Rangers in it. They don't even really transform into their Power Rangers suits until 90 minutes into the movie. They really only become the Rangers at the end, really, just for the climax. That's the weakest part of the film. Elizabeth Banks does a terrible job playing Rita, the villain of the film. She's awful in it. So she's the worst part. But the second worst part is, well, really, the ending of the film when they actually become Power Rangers. I like seeing them in the suits. But the fighting isn't very interesting. The battle isn't very interesting. A lot of the climax <laughs> revolves around a Krispy Kreme, which is one of the most obvious product placements I've ever seen. But everything up until that point, up until they're in their suits, is actually really good. There is an air of seriousness to it. You actually get to know these characters. I think it's a really good film. I honestly do. I feel like it's one of those situations where you say, it's a good film, but it's also the Power Rangers. You know what I mean? It's like somebody mixed in the cheesy Power Rangers with a good high school drama, and then you sort of get this hybrid that maybe won't satisfy really anyone, because it might be too serious for Power Rangers fans, and for normal filmgoers, the Power Ranger part might be too stupid. I enjoyed it, though. I am crossing it off, and I really, really just wish they had not cast Elizabeth Banks, because she is pretty awful as Rita. Almost ruins the entire film, really. She is that bad. The final group of films are the G.I. Joe movies, I may have touched on it in my Best of 2021 episode. The Snake Eyes movie is one of the worst movies of last year. It's awful. I have no idea what they were thinking. Completely miscast. Action that's shot and edited in a way that you can't tell what's going on. Character motivations that make no sense. Even use of the IP of the G.I. Joe characters is very poorly managed. It's a terrible film. Snake Eyes is awful. In the 80s, they made an animated feature film that ended up going straight to television. It was going to go to theaters, but then the Transformers animated movie bombed so badly that they decided to just release it straight to tape and to TV. I like the animated G.I. Joe movie. I know that part of that is my nostalgic appreciation for the original show, because it is animated both in character and style of the animated TV show, which I absolutely watched as a kid. And so I can watch the animated G.I. Joe movie and have those sweet memories of childhood, you know? I could easily see no one really caring. The two live-action G.I. Joe movies, though, are kind of interesting. So the first film was G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra with Channing Tatum, and then the second one was G.I. Joe Retaliation with The Rock and Bruce Willis. I kind of like both of them, but kind of don't. It's weird. Both of them are cartoony in a good way. Like, I would describe at least the first one, especially The Rise of Cobra, as a cartoony live-action adventure movie more in line with the first Brendan Fraser mummy and uh, Van Helsing, where you know it's dumb, but you just have a good time with it. And that's perfectly fine. The second one, they killed off pretty much the entire cast, and then they brought in new people like The Rock and Bruce Willis. I do like how cartoony the villains are in the second one, but then they lost that sort of sense of fun with the heroes. So it's sort of the reverse of, of the first film. The first film had a lot of fun with the heroes, and then the second one has a lot of fun with the villains. So neither of them get that perfect balance of silliness and adventure. I can't really argue that one is better than the other. I like the first one more. I do appreciate when live-action movies try to go full cartoon or go full comic. Not a lot of movies have the nerve to try that. G.I. Joe did. Whether or not it succeeded is up to you to decide for yourself. For me, the first one is pretty close but doesn't quite nail it. And because of that little stumble, a lot of people will probably come away from those films thinking that they're just stupid and I can't really argue that. By sheer process of elimination, though, that does leave me with my three films. I am slightly surprised by where I ended up, but these are good films. You may not find the humor of these films to be up your alley, but I recommend these films. I think they're good. And so, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are The Brady Bunch Movie, 21 Jump Street, and The Naked Gun from The Files of Police Squad. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at vwestcinemas, If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash ValleyWestCinemas. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen. That helps us a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. Thank you for listening.